1: Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. And on today's episode, since we're so close to Easter, I thought about doing a segment that would edify uh, the church body in terms of the resurrection. And some years back, I read a book about Christ and the historical evidence concerning the resurrection. There's a book entitled The Historical Jesus, Ancient Evidence for the Life of Christ. That's uh, written by a great apologist, uh, Dr. Gary Habermas. And Dr. Habermas did a wonderful job of consolidating the facts surrounding the historicity of Jesus and the resurrection. And on air today, we are blessed and privileged to have Dr. uh, Gary Habermas with us. Dr. Habermas, how are you? Doing well. Thank you. Great. Dr. Habermas is uh, uh, chairman of the philosophy department at Liberty University in Virginia. And so we, again, thank him so much for sacrificing this time to educate us. Uh, You wrote up your book, uh, The Historical Jesus, Ancient Evidence for the Life of Christ. And in the book, you mention a gentleman by the name of G.A. Wells, and he denied the historicity of Christ as depicted in the New Testament. So my question is, are there any modern skeptics who may share the same views or ideologies?
2: Uh, yes, th- there are some. Now, now he uh, was a professor of, of uh, German at the University of London. Um, I think he's retired, but I'm not entirely positive. Uh, but he was a, a professor there, and he popularized this view that Jesus either did not live... Or, if he did live, he was an obscure person, and we don't, we can't know a whole lot about him. Um, and there are others who take his view. Now, uh, and a couple of those people have good credentials. A, a few, a very few of the scholars have good credentials, but the vast majority of people who believe that Jesus, uh, who write about it, you know, blog and so on, that Jesus never lived, um, they're, you know, free to have their own opinions. But uh, it's not like very many of them are teaching in universities or things like that. They're just kind of of uh, you know airing their opinion on the uh, on internet.
1: Right. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, I wanted to find out what are some of the key arguments Christians can use to argue for the historicity of Christ as depicted in the New Testament.
2: Well, I, I think for most of these these. The critical scholars—the ones now—I'm going to a different group right now. It doesn't make any difference to me how critical they are. They could be, uh, you know, skeptics, agnostics. Um, a few of them are atheists, but they hold university positions and uh, you know a good degrees in the field from good schools. And they're gonna—they're probably gonna tell you that the uh, best place to begin is with the Apostle Paul and uh they won't uh, they won't say that they'll be happy with all thirteen books that uh, of, with paul's name but but they'll they'll let you use uh, seven of those books and uh, if your listeners are interested, those would be uh, Romans, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, first Thessalonians, and Philemon. They're the seven that are usually granted and and interestingly enough, they're the seven that most Christians use, Paul's, for sermons and teaching, because they're his major works. But they'll pretty much, let's use Paul, as authoritative. Now, obviously, they don't think he's inspired, or they, they'd be Christians, but um, they think he's authoritative in the sense that he's, he, he had a good training in school. Uh, he was a Pharisee. He was a scholar. Right. He was a persecutor. And somehow he comes to the Lord, so he changed his view. So they think that Paul's view is uh, very useful. As I said, as I used the word authoritative, uh, he, I, I sometimes say in lectures he's kind of the critic's darling. They they think Paul is uh, about the best source that uh, you can use. So contrary to popular opinion, most of these university skeptics, um, they don't mind if you use the New Testament. Just use it the right way, which, is, of course, is do, the, do it the way they use, do the research. Right. But um, if you don't use the verses, they will, because they think there's some good verses in the New
1: Testament. So from your perspective and the research that you've done, you're basically saying that most researchers who've studied this subject area would agree that, number one, Jesus did exist.
2: Yes. Yes, by far.
1: And if Jesus exists, uh, as we believe as Christians and uh, if they encounter this fact, then what happens? I know you touched on it, but I just want some clarity. What happens then uh, in terms of uh, the resurrection report? If he existed, there was a report about him rising from the dead. How do they receive that?
2: Well, virtually every scholar. Now, uh, again, I'm I'm differentiating between, with the exception of these uh Uh, very few people who don't think Jesus lived and who have good credentials, and there are a few of them. But uh, all these skeptics, virtually all the skeptics who have university positions and say, teach New Testament at a state university, something like that, they're going to allow several of the New Testament sources, and they're going to allow you to say certain things from the New Testament books. For example, about the question you just asked, they uh, will tell you, the vast majority of them are going to say, that the early disciples of Jesus, Jesus really lived, he was crucified. I mean, John Dominic Crossan, for example, uh, a skeptical scholar himself, and a very nice Mm -hmm. guy, but a skeptical scholar himself, says that the fact that Jesus died by crucifixion is as clear as any uh, historical fact from that time. So they think that's that's solid. And then afterwards, his followers believed he was raised from the dead. That They're going to pretty much grant that. Back to Bart Ehrman, this well-known skeptic, um, Bart Ehrman says that there's absolutely no reason not to say that uh, Jesus' followers uh, saw him— or, sorry, that Jesus' followers believed they saw him again okay. uh, after his death, because uh, he says it's a matter of history— that that's what they taught, hmm. that they thought they saw him, yes.
1: That the followers perceived that they saw him, not necessarily that this is a fact.
2: Well, they, they had real experiences. <clears throat> In other words, they weren't lying or deceiving or, you know, psychotic or something like right. that. Uh, they really thought they saw the risen Jesus, and they're going con- to concede that kind of data. He died on the cross by crucifixion. Um, The disciples had experiences that they thought were the appearance of the risen Jesus. Most scholars, not quite as many percentage-wise, but most of these scholars will allow the empty tomb and the fact that the disciples' lives were transformed by this experience they had that they believed was with the risen Jesus. They'll also grant that uh, James and Paul, uh, James the brother of Jesus and Paul, were skeptics or persecutors or previous unbelievers, uh, and that the two of them had experiences that they also thought were appearances of the risen Jesus. They're going to let you use all of those uh, facts, because they think that they're established by the historical uh, data that we have.
1: Excellent. Thank you for that. Now, in terms of creeds, what are creeds, and how are they important to this uh, discussion concerning the historical Jesus?
2: Well, yeah, this is a this is an interesting subject for for lay people in Christian churches. They've probably not heard much about this, but right. it's probably the most important single development in the last several decades. And um, let me start like this: uh, creeds. Okay, let's. Here's a question: What are these early creeds? And uh, close synonyms would be confessions or traditions of the early church. And here's the answer, Uh, or let me put it this way. Here's the question to which the creeds are the answer. Of what did early Christian preaching consist before the very first New Testament book was written? Or to ask the question a different way, what did early Christians preach between the years of approximately 30 and 50 AD? And the answer is, there are dozens of little snippets, they're usually just uh, half a sentence long, mm-hmm. but there's uh, d- a dozens of these in the New Testament, and they record the teaching of the earliest church, and the best known one is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and following, which says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, rose again for the dead according to the Scriptures, and appeared and then there's a a pretty good sized list of appearances to right. individuals and groups
1: right excellent thank you so much and first corinthians 15 as we know is the found one of the foundational uh chapters for our faith as paul himself attested to exactly my next question is how should christians uh respond to those who uh, attempt to delegitimize the miraculous accounts as uh, as cited in scripture.
2: Well, they're going to they're, they're probably going to allow that the early Christians thought Jesus did miracles and so on, but then of course because they don't believe in miracles because they're largely naturalists who believe the natural world is all there is and there's no supernatural. Um they're going to say yeah, you that those are nice those are nice accounts, those are nice stories. But since miracles don't occur, we uh, don't have any reason to believe that they're actual miracles. Mm. Uh, And I think the way I would go after that today is to talk about phenomena in our own time that can be uh, verified. Now, you you can use phenomena in Jesus' life, Mm -hmm. because critics will also usually allowed that Jesus did many of these extraordinary sorts of things that the gospel said he did, that uh, his followers thought were miracles. Um, but I also talk about things in the present such as Craig Keener's uh, two-volume work. It's uh, over a thousand pages on uh, contemporary miracles. Some of them have uh, pre and post evidence like mm. MRI or CAT scan or uh, x-ray. Uh, certain experiments, uh, the the ones that are positive are kind of rare. But there's a couple uh, good experiments with double-blind prayer experiments. Mm. Do, does does prayer heal? Right. Uh, do people get healed from it? Near-death experiences. Um, so I would use evidence like that to show that the supernatural has broken into our world today. And if you can't. Uh, you know, refute that kind of information, why would you object to these these events really being miracles in the early church?
1: Exactly. And it sounds like from uh, what you've said, and uh, many of the things that I've read, that a lot of these arguments are circular. Uh, they already believe that there's no supernatural, uh, super, all the supernatural events don't exist. So their arguments are consistent with that, even if despite the evidence that that may be obvious.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the questions a lot of times are the statements. A lot of times are circular. And I mean, here's an example. Uh, Ask the turn, turn the question around and ask the naturalist, how do you prove naturalism is true? And you can't prove naturalism is true. They kind of assume it because that's the major philosophical view in Western universities today, in Western Europe, North America, etc.
1: Right. Thank you. Now, you also wrote a book uh, entitled "The Resurrection of Jesus" and apologetic. Uh, what was the motive behind writing that book?
2: Well, I did that a long time ago in the earliest form, uh, 1980, and then I I kind of redid a similar take with um, a, a whole lot of new material in 2003, and it's called The Risen Jesus and Future Hope. The early one that you mentioned, Resurrection of Jesus, is out of print. Okay. Um, resurrection, the Risen Jesus and Future Hope is still in print. But what, I, what I tried to argue was we have good evidence for the resurrection, and I, I kind of put that all in one real detailed uh, chapter with over 100 uh, footnotes, endnotes. And uh, then for the rest of the book, I ask the question, if Jesus was raised from the dead, what uh, would that look like for the rest of the major doctrines of Christianity? Would we be able to talk about God, for example? Would we be able to talk about the deity of Jesus? Would we be able to talk about um, salvation and eternal life? Would we be able to have some pastoral things to say about suffering or you know, about Jesus' view of Scripture or Jesus' overall worldview, things like that. So basically the question is, if the resurrection happened, I think the evidence is solid, what follows from the resurrection? That's that's what I'm after there.
1: Great. My final question, and then uh, uh, we'll be done with this round of questioning. I thank you so much, Dr. uh, Gary Habermas. My final question is, with all of your extensive research dealing with the resurrection, how do you perceive this whole uh, episode of Easter and what Christians or how Christians should conduct themselves to bring uh, this, especially this particular holiday, back to uh, the gospel message?
2: Well, that's a great question. I I think we should talk as Christians um, about either... The here's three, here's three different ways to, to move on the resurrection, either to talk about the facts, which is what I do most of my writing on, what the historical data that critics allow and, and why that data uh, point very strongly to the resurrection, or we could talk about a little, little more pastoral message, and that's the one I kind of mentioned a moment ago, uh, what is true because of the resurrection. What do we know? Because we know the Resurrection, what, what does the Resurrection say about Christianity? And then a real practical message, what difference does the Resurrection make in our everyday life? For example, uh, we've had two
1: uh,
2: family members, both very, very young, uh, pass away mm-hmm. in our uh, extended family here in just the last few months. And what do you say to a young mother, for example— who, use, who loses um, a little child. Does the resurrection say something about that? Paul makes the comment, Christians grieve, and we know that Jesus wept at the uh, tomb of his friend Lazarus. Christians grieve, but not as those without hope. Right. And I tell people there's a world of difference between grieving with hope and grieving without mm. hope. The difference is you're going to see your loved one again, and that's that's the difference in Christianity. So I think the practical question... What difference does it make in our lives in the 21st century? I think that's a a very important question of uh, application.
1: Professor Habermas, thank you so much for your time and for the research that you've done on behalf of the cross. I know we've been edified by this uh, dialogue and exchanged. And uh, we'll talk again, uh, Loris Will, and thank you so much for extending yourself for this program.
2: I appreciate you uh, talking. I appreciate your good questions, and especially your concern about uh, the truth of Christianity. Thank you for having me on.
1: Thank you, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. That was uh, Professor Gary Habermas of uh, Liberty University. He's the uh, department chair of philosophy uh, in Virginia. So the Lord uh, opened the door for us to be able to share or, or have him come and share with us. So we thank God for that opportunity. With Easter right around the corner, I thought this was a very uh, important discussion that we need to have as a church. That there is evidence for our faith, even outside of the New Testament. There's record of reports, writings in the first century that depicted an event that occurred, and this event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we live and we and we move based on 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And Paul talks about this event being supernatural, being demonstrative, and occurring within spatial time. So don't celebrate Easter. Celebrate the resurrection of our risen Savior.
0: Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time, and remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org.
2: What do you do when the world around you is falling apart?